Roz, thank you so much for joining us today on the Managed Space Podcast. Um, I'm James McQueen, a market analyst at Radius Plus. And one of the things that I love to do about my job is get to go to trade shows and meet people in the industry like yourself and sort of hear your story and uh, how you got started in self-storage and what you've been up to and also kind of where you see the industry going in the next couple of years. So thank you again for joining and uh, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you having me here, James. Uh, big fan of Radius Plus, big fan of the show, so it's uh, a lot of fun to be here. But my name is Faraz Himani. I'm a self-storage owner and operator. Uh, former life, I was in tech. So, you know, as recently as a year ago, I was working in Austin, Texas. I worked for companies like Oracle. I worked for Google in a strategy role over there, all about customer acquisition, customer retention, maximizing revenue for customer. Uh, I'm touching on those topics because a lot of those topics and trends and themes are things that are really, really critical in the world of self-storage. So about a year ago, I made the plunge full-time to jump into self-storage. Our company's now at 10 facilities. We're operating in five different states, and we're having an absolute blast doing it. Great. So what kind of attracted you to self-storage, though? Like, What specifically made you get interested in that as an asset class and made you start your real estate investment journey with that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I started my real estate investment journey almost five or six years ago, and I've done all sorts of different asset classes. I started with single family houses. We did some small multifamily projects. I've done retail, shopping centers, land deals. Self-storage is relatively new for me, just about one year old. And what I can tell you with my experience of doing all of those other asset classes and now jumping into self-storage, so many things that the asset class has going for it. Uh, to start with, it really, really, really runs like a small business. Meaning self-storage requires diligent customer service, great attention to marketing, dynamic pricing. You have customers moving in, moving out every single day. And because it's so hands-on and so operational, I feel like folks who have that strength in operations and strength as small business owners can really succeed and do a lot of powerful things in the asset class. And that's really the main reason I'm attracted to self-storage. And that's the main reason that's all I do now. We don't do anything else except touch self-storage. Wow. Now... Coming from a tech background, I'm curious to where you sort of find a balance between running as a small business with those soft skills like customer service, um, knowing people's first name, you know, versus, uh, you know, adopting tech practices and like, you know, a lot of discussion right now in self storage about how do we integrate automation into making everyone's lives easier and better customer experience. So can you speak on that in your own experience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. There's a balance between knowing everyone's first name and being like the, the you know, heartfelt owner, the one that's, you know, kind of the mom and pop owner that provides that excellent customer service, but also using technology to be able to do that practice at scale. That's exactly where we look to come in at that intersection. Our goal is how can we continue to deliver an excellent customer experience when you're operating at scale, when you have tens of thousands of different customers and you're across so many facilities in so many states, how can you ensure that the quality of your service doesn't degrade? How can you ensure the customer experience does not degrade given that scale. And that's where we come and use technology and automation and process automation to come and supplement just basic customer service skills and basic marketing skills and, and all of those kind of things. Great. Um, what kind of processes have you implemented in your own facilities that you, you operate? We have a ton of fun stuff that we do that, that I like a lot. So, I mean, from a customer service point of view, we do a lot of the things that are now becoming table stakes in the industry. You know, you have your online rentals, contactless rentals, you know, you go to our website and within five minutes you can be at your unit with a free lock and key provided. Uh, we do automated follow-ups, but also just in terms of property management itself, I mean, we've automated the whole process of creating punch lists that go out to our vendors or our contractors that work on site so they know where exactly they need to go and sweep a unit or where exactly they need to go replace a hasp. 
uh, as much as possible, a lot of those repetitive tasks, and that's what we basically look at in our business. If this is something we're supposed to do every single week, there needs to be a path to get it automated. And we've adopted a lot of technology. We've built a lot of our own software and technology to come support those operations, and it's, it's been a godsend for us. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, I'm unfamiliar with like sort of like your journey in it. Did you um, develop a facility from ground up? Did you buy an existing one and sort of added value to it? Yeah, we have not built anything ground up yet. Uh, hasn't made a ton of sense for us economics wise uh, with the way we've been acquiring facilities below replacement costs that are already 99% full and cash flowing. The risk to roar proposition has just been so much more attractive for us to date doing that. So we've acquired 10 facilities, existing facilities, have not built anything ground up to date. Got it. Now, what, what would be like any piece of advice you have for people in this current economic situation that's going on where investors are a little scared to you know, jump the gun and get into real estate, uh, especially with interest rates so high? Um, what would be like the ideal person to start investing in self-storage, in your opinion? Or any yeah. advice for anyone like, on the fence about getting started? 100%. So there's a, there's a bunch of caveats to this answer. But at a high level, the way we like to think about it is almost everything is like a math problem. Okay. The way we're going into this new economic environment, the way interest rates are rising is really, if you boil it down, just changing variables in a math equation, meaning, okay, my cost of debt is higher, or I might need to account for a lower occupancy, or I might need to be able to stress test what happens if my street rates drop 20%. And if you can manipulate those variables and a deal still works, then there's really no reason to not go ahead and move forward with it. Again, there's many caveats to that, but that's the way we think about it. And that's what I would tell to a first time investor, you know, do not let the reading the news or reading social media or this and that really influence your decisions. Stick to the facts, stick to your numbers. If your deal can support a high interest rate, if your deal can support 15 to 20% of customers walking away, you know, at the price you're getting it at, if it supports those things, then by all means go for it. Um, there's never going to be a perfect time to jump in. Just, you know, do your analysis, stick to your numbers and, uh, and just jump in with confidence, jump in with some support from folks who know what they're doing, talk to other people in the industry, uh, but go ahead and get it. There's never a perfect time. Got it. I like that about the whole math equation with different variables. Now, I know you're an owner and operator, but do you do any consulting as well, like help other investors get started? Yeah, not not a formally, but I love talking about self-storage. That's why I was excited to jump on this podcast. I talk too much about storage at home, so my wife, being my only audience, is definitely very tired of hearing about it. So she was excited to hear that, okay, you'll get it all out on the podcast. But to answer your question... I have folks message me all the time. Uh, I'm active on Twitter and LinkedIn, and I have a lot of first-time investors message me, and I'm always happy to jump on a call with them. It's not paid consulting. It's nothing formal, but but I do love talking to folks who are, especially folks who are looking to jump in for the first time, because it wasn't too long ago that I was in their shoes. That's awesome. I think to your point, those discussions are really helpful, and we're in an industry where people aren't gatekeeping information. Everyone's always like eager to have discussions about what the best business practice is. I've always found that to be true in the self-storage industry. Um, do you only deal in traditional self-storage? We've had a lot of discussions around boat and RV and like the rising popularity with that, especially with you know, people are working remotely, so some people could work yeah. out with RV. So that storage solutions has been more popular discussions. Absolutely. So we're not opposed to looking at non-traditional storage like RV storage, boat storage, cold storage, wine storage, all of those things. But here's, here's my gripe, and I don't have a data point to hang my hat on. This is just totally conjecture here. A lot of the reasons we all love self-storage is we hear about how it is recession resistant, how it can be counter-cyclical, how that even when there's a down market, when people are downsizing or they're dislocated, like they call it the 4Ds or something like that, there's still demand for self-storage. But is the same true when it comes to boats 
or RVs, when there is down market and people's pockets are hurting, is there still the same demand for people going buying boats and buying RVs? I'm not 100% sure to be honest, right? So because we know there's a big reason we got into self-storage was that counter-cyclical nature, the fact that it's gonna remain resilient in the face of economic conditions, we try to not deviate away from that too much. But again, like I said earlier, everything is a math problem, right, in our in our books. So we have bought facilities that have boat and RV storage as, you know, like kind of secondary stream of income there. Um, we try not to deviate because we like our core thesis, yeah. but there's a, there's there's a definitely a room for everything given the right numbers. Got it. And to your point, I'm also unfamiliar with how boat and RV sustains itself during economic hard times as compared to what we talked about with traditional self-storage. Um, yep. Where do you see the industry going in the next couple of years as we're in a recession, you know, I don't know if it's hit its worst yet, but what do you kind of foresee? Yeah, there's going to be a lot of fun stuff across all real estate assets and self-storage definitely as well. So we have to first see what happened in the last couple of years. We had like this historic, historic rise in rates, asking rates, street rates, in-place tenant rates, uh, you know, double digit, if not more percentage growth every single year, sometimes over quarter over quarter. Uh, you had historic rises in occupancy, but also most importantly, you had a historic addition of new supply of all these new facilities being built and being permitted and coming up um, at really, really high construction costs, right? The, the cost to build those facilities was high and they were underwritten using the rates that were present in 2021 and the beginning of 2022. Right. So I know there's going to be a decent amount of pain for people who really didn't do the math problem correctly, who didn't look at what happens if my street rates go down, what happens if my occupancy is only 80 instead of 95, like I underwrote, there's gonna be some pain felt in those, um, kind of in those spaces. And I think, you know, as a result, we're gonna see some pretty solid, phenomenal assets probably hit the market under distress. Mm -hmm. There might be buying opportunities, but I think by and large, a lot of folks I talk to are like myself, they do a decent amount of diligence before they go buy an asset. Um, like for example i can speak on my own portfolio we're still seeing every single month the last three months have been record-breaking revenue months for us so i know there's a lot of operators that are doing it properly that are going to continue business as usual um and so again it all just comes down to how did you behave and conduct yourself in the last two years is going to determine what the next two years are going to look like for you absolutely i like what you said when they underwrote it using these all-time highs he's like basically inflated numbers they had all these covid drivers sort of like never before seen conditions which isn't going to be the typical thing moving forward. So yep. made a lot of great points. Thank you for that. So can Absolutely. you slowly explain your role in as an owner and operator that how you manage your facilities now? How many facilities do you manage and speak a little bit more on that? Yeah, we're at 10 storage facilities now uh, and growing. So we bought our first one January 2022. So this year we've added 10 looking to probably go and double it next year. Uh, you know, if the market lets us and, and we're able to get that done. So my role, I mean, when I started in January, I was hands-on. I was doing everything because I wanted to really learn the business. So I was cold calling owners. I was sourcing deals. I was answering the phone when tenants called. I was the customer service rep. I was our bookkeeper. I was our web admin. I was building our web presence. I was running our advertising. I mean, I was doing everything and talking to investors and all of these things along the way. Um, and so it was a very, very hectic first three or four months, but it really taught me a lot about the business. Uh, I was able to kind of immerse myself. I was even going on site and sweeping units on a weekly basis. I was, you know, cleaning out trash. I was, I was doing everything to start. Now we have a phenomenal team in place. We have folks who are dedicated entirely to acquisitions. We have folks entirely dedicated to operations and communicating with our lenders and contractors. We have a whole customer service team that's built out in-house. So as we grow, and that's one of the nice things about having scale, as you grow, it kind of gives you the ability to really invest a lot in the core parts of self-storage, to build a world-class customer service team or world-class acquisitions and operations team. 
So these days I'm really just focused on the growth of the business. How can we continue to get better as folks in customer service? How can we get better at bringing new tenants in the door? How can we get better at finding the best deals is really all I'm focused on now is just tweaking these processes that have been working for us for the last 12 months. Got it. I love like optimizing your current process. Now you see yep. 10 facilities, are they all local to you or are they sort of spread out across the country? No, we are in five different states. Wow. Okay. So how do you sort of manage like, cause it almost seems like you have to manage it remotely to some degree, you know, you mentioned being hands on. What are sort of like the, the hurdles between doing that? Yeah, well, I'm not hands on anymore. We bought our first facility in January that was about an hour away from us. So, and that's one advice I would definitely give to a new investor as well. That first facility, try to make a driving distance if you can. You will just learn so much more if you're able to just go run out there on a weekly basis and check out what's going on with your own eyes and get out there if needed. Because there's going to be so many little things that you're going to miss the first time you buy a facility and set it up that you're going to need to get back out there so many times. But now that we're in five different states, we run all our facilities remotely. Uh, what we do is we'll just hire part-time workers in every city that we're in on an hourly basis. And uh, they get a punch list of items every single week that they need to knock out. And the creation of that punch list is automated as well. So, you know, we're, we're feeding into our property management software. It's generating lists of which units had move outs, which units need repairs, which units need lockout, which units are going to auction. It all goes to a nice punch list that shows up on our part-time worker's phone, like a work order. And they just go click each one. Okay, unit 26 had a move out. They go take a picture saying, look, I cleaned the unit out. I put a new lock in there. And they just go clear the work order every single week, maybe take some three to four hours a week, and we pay them weekly. So that's how we maintain our ability to go operate at scale across all these different states without maintaining like a full-time employee or true full-time physical presence and, and really running it remotely. Again, the key being how can we run remotely and run at scale without degrading the customer experience? Right. That's always our key. And I think we found a really, really good balance and way to do that. I like what you said about having the punch list, like these items that everyone needs to check that's consistent across all your facilities. Like you said, maintains the quality. Um, from like a reporting perspective, what would be, what are some metrics you'd like to see at scale, like taking a look at each individual facility or even your entire portfolio that maybe you don't have access to that you'd like to see, like historics and things like that. Um, like ManageSpace is looking to be a PMS system. And so just asking an owner and operator like yourself is like, what is something on your wish list or that you would love to see like data on mm -hmm. maybe doesn't yeah that's, no it's a great question um i told you my background is at google google yes, is yes. a massive massive big data company and i was really trained for better or for worse to just like love looking at 1000 data points at the same time so i have a massive massive wish list of things i would love to see um one thing property management systems all across the board you know could do a better job at is doing a better job at reporting i would love to see kind of what was been our changes over time in rents rents per unit and occupancy how seasonality affected kind of those those key metrics I'd love to see kind of how delinquency changes over time how collections change over time uh really just looking at monitoring all of the key metrics of how is a customer behaving or how is our entire group of customers behaving over a period of time so we can then correlate that to seasonality or we can correlate that to we made this improvement in customer service or this improvement in marketing and let's actually see what the impact of those changes were. There's so many knobs you can fiddle with in self-storage and sometimes we start fiddling unnecessarily. It's so important to go tie it back to performance. And I would love to just see some property management software that can really show you performance at every level over time and how that's changed. Absolutely. I'd like we said about the different knobs because one of the conversations I have all the time at trade shows, you might be speaking to a smaller operator who's been running a business for 20 years. They don't like to raise rates. They're very happy with having high occupancy. And we take a look at things going on in the trade area with radius or whatever. And we can see yeah. that they're leaving a lot of money on the table because they're maybe fully leased up. 
but they could be $50 lower than their competitor up the road. And like one thing that I'm always like hesitant to tell them is, hey, look, you know, yeah. they are charging a lot more, but how would a price increase affect your occupancy levels? Would it lead to higher delinquency rates, like you said? So having some type of reporting historically say, hey, if I raise rates 5%, it usually leads to, you know, X amount of people uh, vacating the unit, but is made up for that, that loss in revenue in X amount of time. So like those levels of reporting, I feel like is something that I've always been interested in seeing. I don't know if it's implemented out there, but um, I'm hoping other operators will be interested as well. <laughs> 100%. And that's what, like, as you mentioned, that data is all out there. Yes. Um, you know, Radius Plus has this rent data, as you mentioned. You can see kind of changes in growth and over time by unit. Um, all the data that you might want to have is all out there. If there was a system that could tie it all together where I could see my actual facility data compared to the market data compared to trends over time, it was all overlaid in one nice little chart or graph for me, would just be so phenomenal, I think. And, be, and just to your point, I think it would illustrate the point to some of these owners so powerfully that you have so much more room or you've left so much money on the table. If all of that data is layered together, it tells a very, very powerful story, in my opinion. Yeah, I think one thing, it, it sounds a little controversial, but everyone I've talked to agrees is like, Building a table longer is not a bad thing in this industry. Like uh, having transparent rates for like your competition isn't such a bad thing because you, you know you guys mark, price at market. You're giving a you know similar product to customers who are looking to rent a unit. Uh, it, it can't really hurt to be within market range of how you price your units. You know, everyone's succeeding at the end of the day. Like all the facilities are still gonna do well and make revenue. So it's absolutely, like absolutely. Try to price, price chop or anything like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know what? And that's a great point. I Part of our job is we talk to owners every single day. I mean, we're cold calling storage facility owners, you know, looking to acquire facilities every day. And so a byproduct of that, which is one of the most fun parts of my job, is every day we get to talk to dozens of people who have been in this industry for like 20 to 30 years. Sure. And, um, you know, I meet with a lot of them in person. We go fly out. We talk to them. We spend entire days with them. And we obviously run into that kind of archetype of person you mentioned. I've owned their facility for a long time, have not touched rates for a while. They've been at 100% occupancy. Yeah. You know, naturally the conversation comes up why. You know, a lot of them know it's not like these guys are ignorant or they have no idea. A lot of them know they can go up in rates and they'll admit it. But it's like, what are you really optimizing for? Right? I can tell you what I'm optimizing for. I want to have a large portfolio that's running at scale, that's maximizing revenue, that's assigned a ton, a ton, a ton of value. That's not everyone's goal. Some of these people's goals are just... I just need enough income to live and survive and live a fun life, a happy life, stress-free life. And if I raise rates and I have to go worry about filling the facility back up and have to worry about disgruntled tenants, a lot of them who I know personally have been here for a while, that's not achieving what I'm trying to optimize for, you know? So it's, it's really like to each their own. Obviously, from a business economic standpoint, there's a right answer. You should be optimizing for revenue. You should be pushing rates. Uh, but that's, that may not be everyone's end goal here. Yeah, that's very true. I love that. And there is a diverse group of owners and operators in the industry with yep. different goals. So 100%. We're, we're, we're almost wrapping up soon, but what is like one situation that you wouldn't expect to find yourself in as an owner and operator? I'm sure you, you deal with a lot of unique situations. So do you have any particular story or anecdote that you think is worth sharing or that you'd like to get into? That's oh, with you. <laughs> it could be funny yeah. or anything. Oh man. Yeah. Maybe y'all will think they're funny to me. That's just like, oh, traumatic. Um, <laughs> it's nothing, it's nothing crazy. I, I get asked a lot of times at dinner parties and stuff like that. Oh, you know, it's, 
is it like storage wars? Have you seen anything cool? I'm like, I have never seen anything of value in a storage unit in my <laughs> life. Uh, somebody made a joke the other day. Someone was tweeting like, yeah, storage has got these massive tailwinds behind it because consumerism is rising and people are buying more stuff. And someone's like, I have never seen a product of consumerism sitting inside a storage unit in my life, man. Like <laughs> I have never seen some new gifts from Amazon sitting in there or anything like that. But anyways, man, Funniest or craziest thing I've seen in storage. I'll tell you about a deal that we bought one time recently. I'll keep it short. It was last month. We had a deal we were looking to buy. It was a really small deal out in Illinois, under contract for it. Four days before we were trying to close, the lender comes and says, hey, we can't close for whatever reasons. They're like, we can't get you the money. Seller does not want to cooperate with us because while we were under contract with the seller, they actually received an offer from somebody else for like 25% more than what we bought. And because we had it locked up under contract, they were, you know, they were kind of stuck with us and they didn't feel great about it. Long story short, the morning we were supposed to close, you know, I was like, it's a lost cause. The lawyer from the seller side messaged me saying, hey, I'm going to be at closing just to, you know, CYA. And if you're not there, then you're the one that's in default. So I'm like, okay, well, he's going to be there. If I can show up and I have the money, we can get this facility. So I jumped in the car. I'm in my pajamas. I jump in the car. I drive to the airport. I make 100 phone calls on the way there, round up the cash, you know, a little over half a million dollars, really small facility. I just round up the cash, some of it from total strangers that I've never talked to before that I just know on social media. We go, we buy the facility, all cash uh, that same day, drop a bag of money on the table there, and, uh, and we leave, and we got the facility. And it's actually been one of our best performing facilities, and I'm really, really glad that we pulled that off and did that. So... Just in the world of real estate or self-storage, the point being there's going to be so many little curveballs. Nothing is as easy as it sounds. It's, you know, it's like, hey, you got this metal box that we're renting out and we're collecting money and you just have to bring new tenants in. And it sounds very simple, but you have to be prepared for freaking anything. We deal with break-ins. We had a facility recently that had like 20 break-ins in a week or something like that. I mean, you have to just be able to deal with any curveball that gets thrown your way. And you got to lean into it and have fun with it. Otherwise, you're going to hate, you're going to hate it. So uh, it's a fun industry, Vin. It's a fun industry. It's super rewarding, but it's not without its challenges. No, thank you for that anecdote. That's a what a wild story. <laughs> I was I was getting anxious hearing the start to finish, but I'm glad the deal went through and it sounds like it's been a yes. very great investment for you. Absolutely. What you to say about it. Faraz, do you have any questions for me or anything that you'd be curious in getting into or No, I appreciate you having me. Uh, you know, love talking storage. I love the product at Radius Plus as well. You asked me about features I want, so I'm going to go email you 100 new things I would love for Radius Plus to be able to do, but we're in Radius Plus every single day. We love the platform, and I love the podcast, so thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed talking to you and hope to see you soon. Thank you. Absolutely, James. Thank you.